Amidst the misty terrains of Nepal, smoke ascended from a secluded spot, carrying with it a dark secret. The smoldering remains of two bodies lay concealed. They were young Dutch adventurers, Hank Bitiana and Cornelia Hemker, once pulsating with life and curiosity. Their vibrant dreams turned to ashes. As shocked investigators sifted through the clues, a trail emerged, leading to the charming yet enigmatic feature known as the Serpent. A serial killer by the name of Charles Sobrage had been operating on Asia's hippie trail. The story of the Dutch couple is the linchpin that unraveled the dark tapestry of crimes that this guy committed. So take a deep dive with us. One thing in addition to Sobrage is that his co-conspirator in this is a Canadian woman who has since passed and we're going to get into her. Her name is Marie-Andre Leclerc and she's no better than this guy. You know what? Make the decision for yourself. Born in Saigon, Vietnam, to an Indian father and Vietnamese mother, Charles Sobrage's early life was twisted with turbulence and confusion. With dark, piercing eyes and a smooth, deceptive smile, Sobrage exuded a charm that masked his true nature. His estrangement from his father and the strained relationship with his mother fostered a sense of rebellion and a lack of stability. As a teenager, his behavior became increasingly alarming. Petty thefts turned into burglary, and a pattern of deception began to emerge. His slender build and sophisticated manner of dress beliled a mind that was sharpening its cunning skills. Moving between countries, Sabraj's identity seemed as fluid as his morals. He manipulated those around him with ease, leaving a trail of victims who were swindled and betrayed. His early crimes included car theft, fraud, and even physical assault. So these transgressions were just the tip of the iceberg with Sabraj. He had a mind that was constantly plotting and also a mind that would unleash terror on the unsuspecting. He is truly one of the most terrifying and notorious criminals that I've come across and was the way he could get people to believe just about anything. His allure allowed him to infiltrate the lives of others, exploiting their vulnerabilities and leaving devastation in his wake. His early life set the stage for a dark journey into the psyche of a man whose appearance and masterful exercise in deception would charm people into their own death. Let's introduce our anti-friend, Marie-Andre Leclerc, a young secretary from Quebec. She meets Charles Sobrage during a trip to India. She's quickly drawn into his magnetic orbit, captivated by his exotic charm and his sophisticated demeanor. Sobrage, ever the manipulator, saw her in a potential partner in crime way, and the two became romantically involved. Leclerc's relationship with Sabraj was complicated. On one hand, she was infatuated with him. On the other hand, she was trapped in a web of crime, her own life intertwined with a man who knew no moral boundaries. The deeper she fell into Sabraj's world, the more she became involved in his criminal activities. From theft to forgery to abetting in the suspected murders that earned Sabraj his terrifying reputation. Leclerc's descent into crime was both shocking and tragic. Whether motivated by love, fear, or manipulation, she became an integral part of Sobraja's dark escapades. You see this out a lot in kind of the male-female dynamic murder couples, and I think, to me, being the person that gets to say that, oh, I was manipulated into committing these murders and doing this kind of stuff, that doesn't negate it in any way, shape, or form. You're just as evil to me because at least the other person has the fucking balls to carry all the moral weight of this situation. And to me, you can just go fuck off. 
As the police closed in on Sabraj, Leclerc found herself arrested and facing trial. The one-time innocent woman from Quebec was now tainted by an association with one of the world's most notorious criminals of the time. Despite her protests of innocence, the evidence against her was overwhelming. Leclerc's story takes a grim turn during her imprisonment. She's diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and she's released on humanitarian grounds and returned to Canada. She dies in 1984. Her death marked a sad end, probably for her family, but not to the victims. Families, I don't think they were probably sad when she died. The story of Marie-Andre serves as a cautionary tale of how charm and charisma and getting a little bit too horny and getting your pants charmed off can send you down the bad road, whether you're male or female. I'm sure we've all had a heartbreak story where maybe it involved a little bit of love blindness, all those kind of things, and you just can't see things for what it is. But if one of the things that you're seeing is murder, that's not love blindness. That's just moral blindness of some kind. All right, let's move into some of the crimes, and we're going to go through them on a case-by-case basis and tell the story of this guy and how he got caught. So our story is starting off in the 1970s. So things, obviously, we're not talking the time of cell phones or the time of TikTok. And people had to communicate the old-fashioned way to each other. In the bustling city of Bangkok, a place teeming with tourists and opportunity, Charles Sabraj and Mary Andre found their criminal playground. The city's exotic charm attracted many Western travelers, and Sabraj saw them as the potential victims because they're naive. Yeah, that's all it is. Together, they devised a scheme to rob tourists by posing as gem dealers. Sabraj, with his smooth talk and persuasive charm, would approach unsuspecting tourists, friendly and knowledgeable as he was. He would talk about the diamonds and the different jewels and act like he was helping people out when he was really scoping them out. They would invite tourists to their home, which happened to be a lavish hotel suite. They would then offer them some kind of investment opportunity in these precious gems. And Sabraj was the master at manipulating emotions and creating a sense of urgency, convincing these victims to buy these gems on credit. These gems were often presented in exquisite packaging, seemingly authentic and valuable. And they promised the tourists that they could sell the gems in their home countries and make a significant profit. Once the deals are made, Sabraj and the clerk would switch the real gems with worthless replicas. The tourists, completely unaware, would leave Thailand believing that they secured a lucrative investment only to discover the truth. Any attempts to track down Sabraj and the clerk at the time were completely fruitless. They would vanish and move on to their next con. This sophisticated gem theft scheme was not just a testament of Sabraj and Leclerc's cunning partnership, but it was also an insight into his manipulative mind. He was not merely content with theft, he thrived on deception, the play and the thrill of outsmarting his victims. And you would see this in his crimes. It was often elaborate and unneeded. He would take on personas and go to all these extra lengths, almost like he was playing himself in a movie. But like a lot of criminals, it doesn't stop with theft. In October 1975, Charles and Mary Andre targeted Teresa Knowlton, 21-year-old American backpacker. She was going through the country on a spiritual journey and her fate, unfortunately, would cross paths with Sabraj and Leclerc. Sabraj, ever the charismatic figure, quickly gains her trust. Leclerc played the warm and friendly companion. Teresa was truly intrigued by his worldliness and charm and soon drawn into their inner circle. Elite. Sabraj sensed her vulnerability and desire for adventure. 
He lured her with promises of taking her to unseen parts of Thailand and showing her kind of areas that she wouldn't be able to get to. He invited her to join him and Leclerc on a trip to Pattaya, a coastal city known for its beautiful beaches. He intended to rob Teresa and leave no witnesses. Leclerc's role in this plan remains unclear. So on October 18, 1975, Sabraj drugs Teresa with sleeping pills. He's perfected this method as part of his schemes, like he'll drug people to steal their stuff and also keep people sick to manipulate them. Like, it's messed up. So unaware and defenseless, she falls into a deep sleep. And during the early hours of October 19, Sabraj, with possible assistance from Leclerc, dressed Teresa in a flower bikini and took her to a tidal pool near Pattaya. There, he drowned her, leaving the body to be discovered by local fishermen. This way, there was no one to catch him for what he stole. Teresa's lifeless body, still clad in the flowered bikini, was found floating in the tidal pool. The Thai police initially investigated it and called it a drowning. The suspicions began to mount as similar cases emerged. The clerk's role in Teresa's murder is really ambiguous, though. I just want to point that out. The murder of Teresa Knowlton became a significant piece of the puzzle that would eventually lead to Sabraj's capture. The way he did it, it was just so cold-blooded. It was just a business transaction. He wanted her stuff, and he was done using her, and that was it. Her life was ended. So we're going to touch a little bit on what might, might drive these people in terms of their psychology and their criminality. So there are Marie-Andre Leclerc, she definitely seems to be dependent on Charles. Throughout her involvement with the Sabraj, Leclerc displayed a heightened level of dependence on him. This dependency can be attributed to a combination of romantic infatuation, psychological manipulation, and a possible desire to be part of something larger than her ordinary life. Okay, ambivalence. It's apparent that Leclerc might have been caught in a state of moral ambivalence, being torn between her allegiance to Sabraj and her own understanding of right and wrong. She definitely had a desire for affection, so this is driving her. Some actions suggest that she's constantly seeking validation and affection, which might stem from personal insecurities or previous experiences with rejection. In terms of her criminal criminality, Leclerc, although not the primary perpetrator in these crimes, she is associated as a pivotal support. This often involved befriending travelers, aiding in the drugging of victims, and also serving as an alibi. She was typically, in her method, an accomplice and manipulator. Rather than a direct assailant, she would utilize charm and friendliness to soften the blow of Charles's presence. Charles, he's definitely the darker of the two, and he's manipulative and charismatic. His ability to charm is his main weapon. He does have antisocial personality traits. He exhibits several characteristics of antisocial personality disorder. He has a complete disregard for the concept of right and wrong. He has the tendency to lie and deceive and a lack of remorse after harming others. He has a need for control. Many of his actions indicate a strong desire for control and dominance, not just over his victims, but also his accomplices. This need is satisfied through both violent and nonviolent means. In terms of criminality, Sobraz was the mastermind behind the crimes. He primarily selected Western tourists traveling through Asia that would go along something called the Hippie Trail. These were most naive in his eyes and easily targeted. The methods he would use often involved befriending his victims, drugging, robbing them, and in some instances, murdering them. His ability to charm people 
and poison them essentially is where he gets his nickname, the serpent. So let's get back into the story about that Dutch couple we started off. Just so I can give you an idea before we get into the rest of it of how that played out. So as I mentioned before, you have the mystical landscapes of Nepal. So Braj is always attentive when he's out and about and he spots these potential victims in Kathmandu. With his practice ease and allure, he struck up a conversation, winning their trust and told them stories of travels and worldly wisdom. But Claire plays her usual role, an added touch of authenticity and of warmth. They invited the Dutch couple into their home, promising them to share local insights and hidden gems of Nepal. The couple, enchanted by Sir Braj's charisma and Leclerc's hospitality, readily accepted the invitation. Over dinner, Sabraj entertained them with tales of the East, creating a bond that seemed genuine and friendly. But behind his sparkling eyes and charming smile laid a calculated plan. As the evening wore on, he poisoned their food, using a cocktail of drugs which left them completely incapacitated. What happens next is truly haunting, and it highlights Sabraj's cold-bloodedness and what type of killer he really was. Their bodies were later discovered badly burnt and it was an obvious attempt to erase evidence and obscure their identities. Leclerc's participation in this horrifying act again remains a mystery. Whether she actively took part in the murder part is still not 100%. The memory of the young Dutch couple's murder is a stark reminder of the twisted minds behind these crimes. Their trust and openness were characteristics that should have enriched their journey However, it led them into the hands of two individuals who had the ability to manipulate and deceive and knew no bounds. Okay, next up we have somebody by the name of Jean-Luc Solomon, and he's a Frenchman. He's said to be curious and adventurous, and he finds him in the exotic landscapes of Malaysia. Entranced by its vibrant culture and natural beauty, his journey was meant to be one of discovery and excitement but it takes a dark turn when he crosses paths with the two in this story. Solomon's interest in the local scene made him an ideal target for Sabraj, who had perfected the art of blending in and connecting with tourists. Sabraj noticed Solomon's intrigue and approached him, striking up a conversation about the hidden gems of Malaysia. Leclerc was also present, playing the part of the soft lady by his side. As they slowly spent time together, Leclerc they slowly weaved this web of deception around him and he had no idea. Sabraj's method of drugging victims and then caring for them as they fell ill was both cruel and manipulative. So he's getting people sick and he's taking care of them so that they turn around and trust him as now their caretaker. Oh, hey, let me take your passport for you. I'll hold on to it so it's safe while you're throwing up in bed. Let me call your family for you, like all these little things. And that kind of play on human trust and empathy is so sick and that's exactly what happened like solomon's truly thinking these people are helping him he just fell ill and they keep bringing him more things to help him which is actually making him more sick so they keep cleaning him out so Braj and claire stayed close to solomon pretending to care for him while watching him suffer like this didn't go on over one night like this went on over quite a while this sickening charade truly adds another dimension to their crime it's like a form of mental torture and the sick game they're playing with this guy and i still to this day like that's just it's a whole nother level again charles is involved and we don't know 100 if leclerc has actually been involved in the murder part of this or she's just a innocent standby poisoner 
Solomon would succumb to this illness and his death in Malaysia was just another link in the chain of Sabraja's crimes in Asia. Calculating and cold. That's what this guy is. And this story about Jean-Luc is, yeah, like a, it's so sad to watch. There's actually a TV show on Netflix about this called The Serpent. And they have a pretty good kind of take on how that got played out and how somebody could be tricked into thinking that like all of a sudden I need this Charles guy to survive. I'm so sick. I don't want to die. And you put all your trust in this person. Cause like he's the whole time he's pretending like everything I'm giving you medicine. I'm calling doctors. We have to wait for the hospital open, whatever he's saying to him, all those things. Okay. So we have the murder of Laurent Carrier, a Canadian citizen and another chilling part of his story. Carrier's body was discovered alongside that of an American woman. Connie Jo Bronzich in Nepal in 1975. Both had been burned and their murders were linked to Charles Sabraj. The burnt remains of Connie Jo were found near the outskirts of Kathmandu, Nepal. Only a few days later, the body of Laurent Carrier was discovered in a similar condition not far from the same location. The brutal manner in which the bodies were disposed of, coupled with the location and timing, quickly drew attention to Charles as the possible perpetrator. So at this point, police had caught up to the idea that this guy might be involved in some stuff and are trying to put together a case. So there is not a lot of clear evidence to exactly how they met Sabraj and how he killed them. This case was actually a circumstantial case that was put together in Nepal and the Nepalese government was able to secure a conviction for both murders. And based on the fact that Sabraj is like MO, the fact that he's in Nepal during the time when the murders were to have occurred, his movements aligned with the time frame of the victim's last known activities. Also, his pattern of crime, so his targeting of tourists in this case, and also the manner of death by disposing of the bodies when burning them essentially while they were unconscious. This disposal method was used in the Dutch backpacker case. So it's something that he. It just fit his M.O. and it was enough to get him convicted. I just want to point out though that the investigation to Carrier's murder was fraught with obstacles. Sabraj's skill at evading law enforcement and his manipulation of legal systems in various countries made the case incredibly complex. Years went by without a conviction. Until 2014, four decades after their murders, that Sabraj is actually found guilty of both Carrier and Bronzich in Nepalese court. So let's get up to what happened between the 1970s and the now with this guy. And so we've got several murder victims and you have police now, particularly in Thailand, investigated them who found themselves onto his path after discovering, actually someone at the embassy, I think it was Nippenberg was his name. And anyhow, this young fella, was the one that kind of uncovered that there was probably a serial killer active after kind of reviewing some information about missing backpackers and then notifying the Thai police. And it was instrumental in essentially his eventual capture and trial of catching this dude. And yeah, like this is also one of the crazy parts of the story is how, like how long this guy got away with murder and how blatantly, and we're going to dive into that right now. And I guess I hope I've captured your attention 
And if you really like the show, if I've earned it, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And maybe one day I can take some money away from these mega corps hosting my show. When the Dutch backpackers were found, it sets off this alarm that kind of sets off a chain reaction of people realizing there's these backpackers going missing. And yeah, they don't know who's responsible at the time. So a lot of the early theories as to where these missing people, like you obviously have parents calling from different embassies, embassies, but he's smart. Charles is committing this to people of different origins and different countries. So obviously things are not that connected back then. Early theories were disjointed with some investigators suspecting common thieves targeting tourists, while others wondered if a more sinister force was at play. The cases were spread across different countries and jurisdictions, adding layers of complexity and bureaucratic hurdles to the investigation. There wasn't exactly alarm bells going off that these things were connected or the crimes were at the time. However, once they did clue into it and had this Nippenberg person from the Dutch embassy pressures the police investigation, the body count is growing, things are happening, everyone starts to sense the urgency of catching this guy. So a special team of detectives is assembled and resources are pooled and information sharing starts happening between the different regions. It became clear that these are not ordinary and separate criminal acts, but the workings of a calculated and cruel mind. The breakthrough in the investigation came with the discovery of a web of stolen passports and fraudulent credit card transactions. Detectives began to connect the dots, linking a man named Charles Sobrage and the Canadian woman, Marie-Andre Leclerc. So photos of this couple were found in the belongings of several victims, chillingly capturing their smiles and seemingly ordinary interactions. Eyewitness accounts started to form more of a coherent picture. Sobrage's charm and Leclerc's supportive presence were revealed as tools to lure unsuspecting victims. At this stage, early theories began to coalesce into a focused pursuit. The investigators realize now they're dealing not with mere robbers, but a duo murdering on the hippie trail throughout Thailand, Nepal, India, and possibly beyond. The investigation definitely took on international dimensions when law enforcement agencies from different countries started getting involved. You have Canadians missing, Americans, so naturally people are chomping at the bit to catch this guy. Despite all these challenges, the investigators were persistent. Combined with all the mounting evidence, it started to paint like the picture that they needed to get a conviction on this guy. And they started catching up to him. And the manhunt began. In 1976, Charles and Marie reign of terror was abruptly halted in New Delhi, India. Following a failed poisoning attempt on a group of French tourists, their true nature was exposed. Local police, already alert to the descriptions of the two and the methods of the elusive pair, swooped in. Sabraj and the clerk were apprehended and brought in for intense questioning. The arrest was a huge triumph, but investigators knew that the unraveling the full extent of the crimes would be a complex task. Convicting Sabraj would be the next step. And this proved to be something extraordinarily difficult, one that tested the legal systems across multiple jurisdictions. His crime spanned several countries, each with its own legal nuances and extradition agreements. Subraj's deep understanding of these complexities allowed him to exploit loopholes and evade justice for a long time. He purposefully got himself arrested in India to evade Thai authorities, knowing that there was no formal extradition treaty 
with Thailand at that time, creating a legal quagmire that hindered the prosecution's efforts. So yeah, this guy, he caught on to the fact at one point, you know, that it was the end for him. So upon the arrest in India in 1976, they are accused of the Jean-Luc Solomon murder. Upon his arrest, basically, he's in jail. Mary Leclerc's in a different jail. I think it was in New Delhi. So in 1986, Sabraj was nearing the end of his prison term in India for the murder of Jean-Luc Solomon. And while he's here, he's very well aware that Thai authorities still want him to be convicted for the crimes that he committed there. However, he also knows that the statute of limitations on these potential charges have not yet expired. So if it released, he risked, risked the extradition to Thailand, even though they didn't have a great agreement. And in Thailand, he could face the death penalty. So to avoid this, Sabraj orchestrated an audacious escape. On the occasion of his birthday, he threw a party in prison, drugged the guards and fellow inmates with the sedative lace sweets, and Sabraj, along with his accomplice, walked out of the prison. And the young lady that he had manipulated, he drugged her too and took off. He's on the lam, but she's still in jail. And we're going to get a little bit into the legal battle and his eventual capture. So right away, like I mentioned, he's extorting these loopholes. He knew about the extradition treaty to Thailand. So like basically what he knew is that India wasn't going to send him back to Thailand until he had served his sentence. And it was going to be a fight. So he purposely got himself arrested in India once he knew that he was going to go down. And he decided that it was in his best interest. The one other thing also in terms of the Thailand cases is that the evidence was a lot stronger there. That, like, he pretty much knew it would be a done deal if he ended up back in Thailand. The other thing that he was good at was manipulating the media. So this guy is giving media interviews throughout all of this. It blows my mind. And he portrays himself as a misunderstood and intriguing figure. He essentially admits to the crimes in a way like a OJ's if I did it thing. And it is anything but sick. When the trial was happening back then, Sabraj's trial was a legal maze of legal maneuvers. There was a ton of delays, a bunch of technicalities. He hired a bunch of skilled lawyers, challenged the evidence and sought to undermine the prosecution at every turn. His understanding of the legal system allowed him to stall the trial and create a web of complexity that frustrated investigators and prosecutors alike. The guy was charismatic, and that's one of the factors. Everyone liked him, including the prisoner guards, the lawyers, the journalists, and his magnetic personality helped him with there. Though he got out of prison, we'll get into the fact that he does eventually get caught, and the story of his capture and conviction is a testament to the determination and the skill of the investigators. So back to Leclerc, her trial was a complex and an emotional affair. Portrayed in turns as both the victim under Sabraj's spell and an accomplice in his terrifying crimes. Her case stirred public opinion and debate. The prosecution built a compelling case, drawing on the evidence of her involvement and painting a damning picture of the woman torn between love and morality. Her conviction was a powerful testament to the evidence against her. Her subsequent release on appeal left many questions unanswered and emotions raw. So she was eventually released and she goes back to Canada and she is, she's quite ill. 
But being the nice guy he is, Sabraj just fucking abandoned this lady there. So throughout Leclerc's trial, she maintains her innocence, claiming that she was under Sabraj's control, completely unaware of the extent of her his crimes. And the main defense, surrounded by her kind of being the manipulated, trapped woman, unable to break free from Sabraj's psychological hold. In 1980, she's convicted. However, she is granted the right to appeal and was released on bail due to her deteriorating health. So she returns to Canada basically with ovarian cancer. And the severity of the disease is enough that it was going to kill her, so they let her go. And she's allowed to return to Canada in 1983 to seek medical treatment. Here, one of the conditions of her release was that she would periodically check in at the Canadian Embassy in India and was to return to India to serve out her sentence if her health was to improve. However, it did not, and sadly she dies on April of 1984 in her hometown of Lévis, Quebec, at the age of 38. We don't get a lot of answers in terms of her involvement. She was 100% a criminal involved, equally guilty in these murders, but we never get to see the picture of whether or not she, like, she was quite as cold and calculating as him and truly how responsible she might be for these. So that's the end of her story, but it wasn't the end of Charles's. So while she's off dying on her own, he's got himself all escaped from prison. But as I mentioned before, Sabraj is back out of jail and he, 1986, and his freedom is short lived. He was captured in Goa just a few weeks after his escape. This escape and recapture resulted in an additional 10 year sentence in India. And that sentence coincidentally just happens to be long enough that by the end of it, the warrant for his arrest in Thailand would expire, allowing him to avoid any charges or ever be held accountable for the murders that he committed. So after serving the sentence, Sabraj is released from TR jail in 1997. He returns to France, a free man, does what he wants and just did his thing. And yeah, he got away with it. All the other murders. He, what are you talking about? This guy's not even in jail for 20 years. Like after escaping too. So yeah, he goes back to France. He's a free man. And there's a lot of media attention around this guy. And he capitalizes on it. He loves it. He's giving media interviews, charging large sums of money for them. And he seems to relish in the spotlight. And he got really confident about it. Despite enjoying his freedom and relative celebrity in France, Sabraj decides to make the fateful decision to travel to Nepal in 2003. The move is surprising, as he still wanted in Nepal for the murders that he committed in the 1970s. He's immediately recognized and arrested in Kathmandu and eventually sentenced to life imprisonment for the murders of Connie Joe Brosnich and, the, and Laurent Carrier. In essence, he, the manipulation of the legal system in India allowed him a period of freedom in France However, his hubris or confidence led him right back to Nepal, whatever the motivations were. I think he thought he wouldn't get caught and he just goes back to Nepal and he wanted to tug on the tiger's tail and motherfucker got bit. A lot of theories did pop up on the internet, like the main one being overconfidence and hubris. Like he thought he owned these people in the system. He figured he could get away with whatever he wanted. Some think he had financial motives that he might have had some business or financial dealings still there that he was dealing with nostalgia or closure. Others speculate that after years of living on the edge, he wanted to go back and enjoy some of his past ventures. 
or the mistaken belief that the statute of limitations for his crimes had expired. Whatever that reason, he's back in jail. But guess what? That's not where our story ends. So he's convicted of that crime. And guess what? Just recently, our friend Charles, citing his old advanced age of 78, is ordered released and he does 19 of his 20 year sentence. So he leaves Nepal and he's met with mixed emotions. Poor guy. And as he's leaving Nepal, he's given a 10 year ban on a re-entry into Nepal underscored by the country desire to distance itself from this guy. So he's free to this day. And we're making fun of Marie Andre in a sense. However, this guy, like, yeah, he went to jail for 20 years, but yeah, he got out and he's a free man to this day. He's walking around just doing his stuff. He could be murdering. And if you got some old dude trying to charm your pants off, think twice out there, okay? Upon his release, Sabraja's defiant attitude remained intact. He spoke about feeling great and expressed his intention to sue many people, including the state of Nepal. So, yeah, he's out there. It's December of 2022. So when I'm saying recent, it was really recent. And he's out. His mother-in-law celebrated the judiciary's decision to release him, reflecting the complex and often contradictory views surrounding Sabraj. He even conned his own mother into believing he was just some poor victim in all of this. It's unknown to this day what his true number of victims are. Could be more or less than what he is alleged to have committed. However, I can't see it being that much less like you're drugging people back then i'm sure there was some accidental killings as well i'd love to get a little bit of feedback if you don't mind either dropping a rating a review wherever you listen or a comment tell us what you think of this episode and tell us if you think that we're gonna find out more of this guy's crimes anyway he's yeah he's gonna be conning god soon he's turning 80 i hope he doesn't get like a neuralink or some kind of like medical intervention that allows him to be around too much longer in anyone's life however he's a free man free man's free man that's justice and i guess you won't see him in nepal at least till he's 89 so that's better than nothing anyway i'm just going to conclude this story there i just want to thank everyone for joining in on these episodes and i really appreciate your support if you can follow us that's awesome 